The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Jokic bringing it up the floor, throws it ahead, Porter fakes, sidestep, three-pointer, in and out, Jokic, another rebound, and the putback. He's got 10 rebounds already. That was a hell of a basketball game last night. Uh, I hope you guys watched it. Um, If you're still one of those that just is not giving it any attention, Uh, you're missing out. This is basketball at the highest levels we have seen in a long, long time. The quality of the game last night, the passing, the basketball IQ, the shot making, um, it was unbelievable uh, to watch. Uh, Nikola Jokic put on an absolute beast of a performance Uh, doing things that have never been done in an NBA playoff game. Uh, The first guy to ever have uh, more than 15 points, 15 rebounds, and five assists in a half, in a first half. He ended up with 34 points, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists uh, in the game. Uh, this guy did not score in the fourth quarter, uh, and I thought Darvin Ham did a phenomenal job with some of the adjustments they made. They used kind of Rui Hachimura on him, but you know kept Anthony Davis sort of lurking in almost a zone behind it. Um, there was a, a lot of strategy in this game, a lot of in-game adjustments, um, but uh, Jokic was unbelievable. Uh, in the first half in particular, he out-rebounded the Lakers in the first half by himself. He had 19-16-5 and uh, seven in, in two blocked shots in the first half. And he had 16 rebounds. The Lakers as a team only had 13 rebounds. Uh, Anthony Davis in this game was unbelievable. I mean, first of all, real quickly on Jokic, he was 12 of 17 from the floor, three for three on three pointers. I mean, he, 34, 21, 14, and two block shots in 42 minutes. And then you had Anthony Davis scoring 40 with 10 rebounds on 14 of 23 from the floor. LeBron's decision-making, I mean, we've never questioned LeBron and his basketball IQ. He is truly one of the all-time smartest basketball players. 26 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists for LeBron. 
Uh, Austin Reeves continues to play big. Rui Hachimura was huge last night for the Lakers. Uh, 17 off the bench on 8 of 11. Uh, I thought the story for Denver um, after the first half and the Jokic performance was Jamal uh, Jamal Murray and specifically KCP. I mean, there's some former Wizards uh, in these games. Uh, you had Rui playing really well for the Lakers. You had KCP. By the way, Jeff Green knocked down a big three as well. I thought Caldwell Pope was outstanding. Uh, he had a huge shot uh, at 127-124 with about a minute 53 to go. Um, he was uh, 21 points for him. He was outstanding. And then, of course, Jamal Murray is one of the best shot makers in the league. He went for 31 on 60% from the floor, 12 of 20. Uh, that's about as high level a basketball game you will ever watch start to finish. The Lakers were down 21 in the third quarter. They came back. The big issue with the Lakers all night was rebounding. And they started their small lineup with Schroeder again. Um, and then they went bigger with Hachimura. And they're going to have this is a much bigger team they're facing in Denver than Golden State was or even Memphis was. You know, they were out rebounded 47 to 30 on the night. Uh, and Denver had 15 off- offensive rebounds, but a lot of those came in the first half. But the Lakers got that lead down to three and had the ball, and LeBron, with about 50 seconds to go, decided to take a three. I don't think that was the best decision personally, um, but uh, he missed it, and Denver holds on for a Game 1 win. Uh, This series is going to be great. Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight, uh, Miami and Boston. Boston's a heavy favorite uh, in this series, uh, and they are big-time Game 1 uh, favorite uh, as well. Um, uh, they are uh, an eight-point favorite tonight in Game 1 in Boston against the Heat. I am really rooting for the Heat. Denver was a six-point favorite last night. Uh, they pushed. Um, they are six-point favorite at my bookie again for Game 2 tomorrow night. Coming up on the show, Scott Jackson's going to join us here shortly in the next seg- segment. We'll talk uh, commanders, we'll talk ownership situation, we will talk NBA playoffs, uh, we will talk Wizards draft lottery. Uh, they did not gain ground, they didn't lose ground. Uh, the Wizards just never have much luck when it comes to this. Uh, and last night's draft lottery was significant. And then at the end of the show, I'm hitting the archives. Uh, I listened to something yesterday, um, it was a Cooley segment from roughly a year ago. You'll have to tune in at the end of the show, last segment of the show, to hear what it's about. But I I don't know what made me go and listen to this, but I went and listened to this. And as I was listening to it, I thought this would be something that rather uh, than making you go back and find the episode, I'll just stick it at the end of the episode today and you can listen to it. So a coolly archived segment coming up at the end of the show. Three balls, two strikes, two outs. Marlins down a run, tying run at second. And Soler hits one to left. Soler, Song, it's a walk-off win for the Marlins. 
painful loss for the Washington Nationals last night. Uh, Hunter Harvey giving up uh, a two-run homer, three runs in total in the ninth. Uh, They've been competitive as hell. Um, They had a 4-2 lead going into the ninth inning to what is now the second-place team in the National League East. By the way, I saw this um, story where Annabelle Sanchez announced his retirement yesterday on, on Instagram. That is still one of my favorite pitching performances from 2019. Game one at St. Louis National League Championship Series. He gives up one hit in seven and two-thirds in a 2 nothing win. And he did it with pitch speeds of like 64 and 77 and then 89. Like he was so far ahead of every St. Louis hitter. It was one of those gems of sort of you know, brains over, you know, brawn. Um, didn't have uh, overpowering stuff, but man, um, there was a lot of a lot of experience and guile uh, in that pitching performance. Uh, wanted to mention one other thing before we get to um, before we get to Scott Jackson, who will join us here uh, shortly. Uh, I got this tweet from Dan. Uh, Dan tweeted, "Kevin, you've been telling us." how less enthusiastic you've become about the team, yet the discussion about changing the name has you fired up. Seems like you still have feelings for your ex. Um, I I don't view the, the football team as my ex. I view my football team as a relationship that's just not as passionate as it once was. But I don't view it as an X. But no, the the point of getting fired up on the show yesterday with Tommy about the rebrand conversation is I just don't think um, I don't think it's 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 right to lecture people about how they feel about this. This is a completely subjective thing. It's not an objective thing. It's it deals with emotion. Brands brands are always drawing on people's emotions. Strong brands do. And this is something we talked about for years that, you know, you get rid of that team name and it's you're gonna you're gonna p- perhaps potentially lose you know, some real value. Now, the price tag is the price tag. I mean, it's an NFL franchise, but um, it, it would be problematic and losing that name. And I think part of the feeling, too, as we've discussed, is that you, you've got a new name that nobody likes, and you've got a new name that feels like, to me, and I think others, that it was kind of come up, uh, you know, that the, that the process was handled by, you know, kind of outsiders, people that don't have that passion or have had the passion in the past. I think this conversation about re- rebranding, honestly, is really a conversation that has to be um, between people that have a stake in this. I think kind of the outsiders, it's not their conversation. Not that they don't have the right to any kind of opinion that they want to have, but I'm much more interested in the people who have been fans or are, are fans or are fans because that's you know where we are. The poll that I put out basically reflected 56 to 44 56 percent of the people uh, have it high on their priority list, 44 percent don't. And, you know, that's 4,000 plus votes. So, you know, you're talking about, first of all, the fact is that it is an issue to people, a lot of people, perhaps a majority of the people uh, it is an issue for. Um, but that's, that's, that's the fact. What is, you know, opinion is whether or not 
Um, it, it's not opinion. To me, there's no right or wrong answer as to how you feel about this. You know, this isn't, or, or, this doesn't come with a right or wrong. If you've been a longtime fan and you like Commanders or you are just over the whole name discussion anyway and you're ready to move on even if you hate the name and you're willing to accept it, that's fine. It's the way you feel. If you're somebody that says, I, I can't do it right now, the way I feel is I can't root for a team that doesn't look like the team I had forever, that's 100% fine. That's really, Dan, my point is that um, it, it's not that I'm – that I got fired up or enthusiastic uh, because I have all of a sudden these really strong feelings for the team that I used to have. No, my, my passion level is, you know, my passion level may have taken a not gone a notch up with Snyder finally leaving, but it's more about the fact that it seems like on social media in particular, and this should never be the measuring stick, um, that people that were lecturing last year about Carson Wentz get on board or get out. It seems to be that same group. And to me, those people are limited um, in their ability to understand that this is not, you know, uh, when it comes to some the way somebody feels, there's not a right or wrong answer. But again, the facts are, for those that think that this shouldn't be an issue, that for the majority of people, it probably it, it probably is, which is why... For new ownership, they should listen to a fan base, a former fan base, where a majority of them think that this is an issue. That's it on that. Uh, up next, Scott Jackson, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with me right now is my good friend Scott Jackson at Jackson Sports on Twitter. Um, and uh, I was thinking about you last night during the lottery. Like, I, I, before it started, I was like, my God, you know, if for whatever reason they actually hit it and they got the, the first overall pick, and I know what the percent chances were, but look, the best chance, you know, the top three teams had a 14% chance. It was only twice the chance that Washington had it, 6.7%. And I kept thinking, this could totally change not just the franchise, but really in many ways, like the way we talk about sports in this town in the years to come. Like, if this guy, Wembenyana, ends up being what everybody thinks he's going to be, this once-in-a-generation player, 
Like, if the Wizards got him and they became an NBA championship contender and an NBA and a, a future NBA champion, like, we would they would be a massive deal in this town. And that night, that moment would have changed it all, but it didn't happen. Yeah, and then you. I know, but it didn't. But then you see the backstory, which is like the ultimate dagger, which was that Wimbiama with the ping pong ball combo 14, 5, 8, and 2. But after the first three numbers were picked, the Wizards had a possible six of the 11 remaining numbers. <laughs> so they were so close to losing it because they do this whole thing in the correct order downstairs before the lottery. Then for TV, they bring them upstairs. They keep these guys locked in a holding room and all this stuff. But apparently, if you're down there and you know you're you're with the Wizards watching this happen, I mean, this has got to be the most painful. Thing wait, wait a minute. Hold, hold on for a second. I'm not following you because I haven't heard this yet, and yeah. I have a feeling others haven't heard this either. Yeah. So the the. Pr- First of all, explain how how they do this. It used to be the ping pong balls. What is it now? Well, they do it still downstairs with a ping pong ball combination, right? Um, the, the three numbers, again, after the first three numbers are picked, the Wizards still had six of the 11 numbers remaining to get the top pick when, when it was coming up. They had, I guess, 7, 9, 10, 12, and 13, according to Ben Gulliver, the Washington Post. And they just missed it, obviously. Um, and then they stayed in their, you know, end up staying in their spot. So they do all this stuff ahead of time downstairs. Right. And, you know, it, it's, again, not exciting. I don't know why the NBA, look, they have NBA TV. I don't know what the hell they put on it all day um, after the games are over and the post-game shows are over. But couldn't you do, like, a behind-the-scenes show to see how this goes? Because a lot of people think it's fixed, right? I, I know, like, Michael Lee, I think, has covered this. There's a few other guys I know that have covered this in the past that are downstairs, allowed the access, and they see it happen. It's nothing, you know unsavory about it. It's just not exciting television. And, you know, the NHL does the same thing, and then they, they go upstairs and what have you in baseball, but it's just not as much fun. But anyway, after the three numbers were picked, the Wizards again had six of the 11 numbers left um, that to be drawn, and they obviously didn't get it. And the Spurs did, and it almost feels a little bit, you know, if you're looking at the big picture, like justice, because San Antonio, like, they put it all in. They weren't trying to fool anybody. They were trying to win the lottery. I mean, they were trying to win... You know, they're trying to increase their chances to win the lottery this year with the way they rolled that team out, and really for the last couple seasons. So um, it's frustrating and annoying that if the Wizards just, I don't know, like wave the flag a little earlier in the season, uh, who knows what could have happened last night. Um, what did you think when it was the Spurs? <laughs> you know, again, like I was saying to my son, like nobody's invested more and done a better job uh, in Europe, in, in overseas, period, or, or international ball. If you want to look at it, they've had obviously two of the most famous French players in Parker and Dial. So it's kind of it's kind of justice, I guess, in a sense, because they were doing this along before anybody else was, it feels like. like They were really ahead of the game here. And, um, again, they, they did what you're really supposed to do in the NBA instead of right in the middle like uh, our franchise likes to do. I mean, if you're not going to be a championship contender – I mean, you really need to bottom this thing out, or you know, and clear out a lot of the, the dead weight and the, the contracts, and you know, get more opportunities to get you know generational talent. And everybody's been telling you for years, this isn't like this. This kid just surprised everybody this year. I mean, for a couple seasons, we've been hearing about Wembyamba, you know, the biggest and the best, you know, since LeBron James potentially, and they call him a unicorn and all this other stuff. I mean, everyone knew this was a year to do this, and you know, they didn't figure it out until late in the season when they started, you know. There was a lot of guys, you know, getting scratched. The lineups were being changed, you know, late in the season where they decided it wasn't worth trying to get into the postseason. I just wish they would have figured it out 
a little bit earlier and uh, maybe you know let uh, let nature take its course, so to speak, and you know made some trades that would have been nice. They could have cleared out Kuzma potentially if he was hot at the time of the all you know going into the uh, trade deadline, you know, and then you'd have a decision to make. Obviously, now with Porzingis this off season, assuming he opts out, which I think it's been said he will, and then obviously the Brad Beal, you know, Albatross, you know, you got to figure out something with that at some point. But now. You know they're they're back where they were before all this stuff, and, and they still don't have a general manager. No, they don't. Um, like I'd like to continue the conversation about the Wizards, um, but I'm just afraid that people will start fast forwarding uh, for the most part <laughs> uh, because it's really yeah. like my my point was they were you know one lucky night away from becoming yeah. not only relevant but maybe approaching top level relevance in this town for the next yeah. 10 to 15 years um you know if the player ends up being uh what the player uh is projected to be so um let me just move on to the games uh what did you think of the game last night well it's always dangerous when a team runs out that early i mean in, in denver was so good for so long and I'll, I'll give the lakers a lot of credit they competed their asses off i mean they could have easily you know, to go back to the Spurs, pulled, uh, you know, Greg Popovich uh, in the second half. Darvin Ham could have really early in the fourth quarter if he wanted to. and just rested guys and, and lived to play another day. Now, the beauty of the way the schedule is in the playoffs, as you know, you get all these extra days of rest. So you can ride LeBron and Anthony Davis for 40-plus minutes and, and Reeves and hope to make a comeback. But, you know, it, it's interesting as for all these games. You hear this all the time. You know, as guys coach and stuff. Okay, the Lakers figure some things out, everybody's going to say, right? Because the way they played – uh, as the game went on, Jokic was a non-factor in terms of scoring in the fourth quarter, although he was obviously still a huge factor because the whole defense focuses on him. But, you know, Rui Hachimori, of all things, defensively, <laughs> it sounds so funny to say this, it's, again, going back to the Wizards, it seemed like he might have, you know, been a deterrent for him and uh, helped them, and it allowed, you know, as, as, uh, as Jeff Van Gundy was talking about constantly, really it allowed Anthony Davis to kind of roam. Uh, it, it was an interesting situation, and I'm a little surprised that, uh, you know, they didn't do something to make Anthony Davis have to defend someone in, in that uh, in that stretch. But, you know, it worked out. We'll see if it really carries over or not. But it's a tough place to play. I mean, with that altitude, as everybody knows, I mean, it's talked about, and they want you to know about it when you're there. Uh, you know, I just thought Denver, they got out. Luckily, they did enough work uh, on their part to get out and run. But, man, uh, you know, they can't be real excited about the way they defended in the second half or, or the way they, they handled that big lead and, the game was obviously way too close for comfort down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, the move to the bigger lineup with Rui was a great move by Darvin Ham. I, I mentioned, um, God, there are just a lot of former Washington players, coaches, ties in, in, in this series. And by the way, also in the, you know, just D.C. area in the in the yeah. Nuggets um, uh, uh, Sun series uh, in, in the last round. Yeah. Uh, but, but to watch um, Rui, he did a nice job, but uh, the problem was Anthony Davis was essentially playing a zone behind him. Like, don't worry, I've got him. If he actually if he gets by you, and Jokic is so unselfish, and uh, you know he made the right plays, but it, it did work there for a while. I don't know what I, like to me. Whoever Davis is guarding has to become the screener out on the perimeter. They've got to get him away yeah. from the basket. And Gordon was the guy that he was on. I don't know why they didn't use Gordon more um, as a screener. They ran him to the corner, which let you know Davis, you know, keep one foot in the paint. Um, 
and that's probably not the right way. I, I think both of the coaches have done great jobs in the postseason, whereas, you know, in that Philadelphia-Boston series, it was like, I mean, the Philadelphia-Boston series, Scott, compared to this, like this was, you know, this was advanced trig. And like the the Philadelphia Boston series was like it was like learning your times tables. Um, it, 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 Doc Rivers, you don't have a problem with him getting fired, do you? No, I expected him to get fired. I, I was actually up in New Jersey, South Jersey, this weekend. My father in law and the family all Sixers fans, and they they you know of course we're talking Josh Harris a lot up there about what's about to happen here with the football team and. Uh, they they were like, yeah, well, he's he's got to do something here if, if they don't win this game today. And <laughs> lo and behold, they, when Doc Rivers said after the game, like, you know, I, I plan to come back. I was like, dude, it ain't up to you. <laughs> right. It kind of made me laugh. But, and again, the record is what the record is in, in multiple locations. I still, if I'm a Boston fan, I'm still angry at him for not cleaning, you know, having two there with that Garnett crew. They should have beat the, those right. Lakers uh, twice. I mean, it was just it's frustrating to, to think back on that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was not. And look, there, this is the NBA now, man. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's some really good coaches on the streets right now, and that's why you know. Again, going back to our Wizards, this whole situation with them just locking in on West until Junior, like he's untouchable, is, is kind of funny. But anyway, uh, yeah, th- it, those guys did a great job, and Darvin Hampton did a really good job this season. And, and sure, it's easy to coach LeBron, you can say, but th- they didn't. You know, this was not a great team. It's like two different teams he's had too. And they've reinvented themselves. And Dennis Schroeder, man, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought a couple of years ago that guy had kind of left his better basketball behind him. But it's, you know, again, a lot of it, I'm sure, is a credit to LeBron and what, exactly. he, what he gets out of his teammates, you know, and, and what he demands of them. But, you know, still, he's he's done a lot more than I would have suspected at times uh, for them. But, you know, kind of, you know, taking a lesser role. And, and, and But when he does get the chance to shoot, actually coming through for them. But it, it's been interesting. And we'll see if, you know, with really, as you know, and everybody here knows that you'll get a good game or two from him, and you're like, "Dang, this is it! You know, here we go!" And then he'll just disappoint you moving forward. So let's see if he can play a full series at a high level. And I'm not really sure he can. So I mean, that was a good move last night. It worked last night. Let's see if it works moving forward here. All right, uh, is Sam Howell going to be the answer quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> we hope, right? That's that's the plan. I mean, it, it, you know, that's a tough thing with a lot of this stuff. Like your plans are hope. You're not sure. Um, I'm never going to be convinced they really had a chance to do their full due diligence, despite all the happy talk of, oh, yeah, we were allowed to do whatever we want. You know, there was no restrictions on us from ownership, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, we'll never know because there was. Um, but, I mean, what were the options, really? I mean, do you think, let me ask you this, do you think Steve Bashotti would have allowed the, the commanders to come in and sign Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet and not match it? Um, I don't think there was a chance no, in any no, universe no, no, no. that would have not, been allowed not, to happen. Not on yeah. him. And and by the way, you, no. you had to plan in advance for that in terms of getting your mm-hmm. salary cap yep. uh, stuff uh, straight sure. because that that was a bit of a surprise, you know, that he ended up, yeah. um, you know, being uh, given the non-exclusive franchise tag. Most yep. of the off-season talk was that he would get the exclusive franchise tag. Um, but, no, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think, you know, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers had this been last year and they had been going after Aaron Rodgers in the same way they went after Russell Wilson. I don't think he would have wanted to come here. I think, you know, he probably yeah. viewed New York as more exciting and more stable, even though that franchise hasn't been that stable either. Um, but maybe, you know, what they would have done um, with, uh, with new ownership in place is maybe they would have been more aggressive in the draft. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think that would have been interesting. And the thing is, though, I think you could also 
say this, I mean, with their track record of the previous three off seasons, I'm not really sure I, I would have been excited about them making another decision on a quarterback. That's you know true, too. Yeah, I mean, I think I this probably worked out better where if you're the new owner, uh, you've got to say on what the quarterback position is if Sam Health you know, is a complete flame out and doesn't show you anything this year. So what are all your Philadelphia in-laws and, and relatives saying about Josh Harris? Well, here's the thing. They don't, let me give you something they don't like about Josh Harris. You hear a lot of good things about Josh Harris, which is, you know, he's a guy. He doesn't, he's not looking for the spotlight. He's not like some, some you know, guy who's grabbing the microphone and this, that, and the other isn't, isn't uh, imp- you know, isn't crazy and doesn't do, like, things on a whim or he thinks it out. But here's what they don't like about him because it, it, it appears this is true for him. This is business for him, right? It mo- it previously, okay, these have been business transactions for him, the 76ers, the Devils, um, you know, the, the soccer the club that he's got money in. And I guess at the time, you know, he has a little bit of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't like the fact that he's not really, he's not a Philadelphia guy, right? Like, they don't like the fact that he's not some Philly guy. I go, look, I lived that life where the guy was the head of belt buckle of the team, and it didn't work out for us. So I don't know. Jack Kent Cook was not a D.C. guy, right? He had about, he was in L.A., he had the Kings, the Lakers, and, right. you know, came out here. He's from Canada. I, I, so I kind of look at it that way. I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's, he's, I understand that he's about business and the way he's structured this is interesting. So the difference is he's coming back to his home area, and this is something I think that now you know, that he's had experience elsewhere might help him. But, again, maybe, again, that's wishful thinking on my part because, again, the NFL is new to him and all these guys involved. But that's their big knock is just, hey, he's not here He's not as present, you know. He, he doesn't live briefly, and the fact that I think that he's a devil probably doesn't excite a lot of people. Um, and you know, in the, in the move to Chinatown or the, or the attempt to move to Chinatown of Philadelphia, as you would expect, like you know, like any area where you're going to put an arena or a stadium, is facing some, um, you know, some civic uh, pushback. People aren't excited about it uh, necessarily, and you can understand that's a huge project. But as I always say to them, I go, he's not asking you guys to pay for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's not he's not shaking you down for publicly funded money. This is a privately funded deal. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So I think I could live with that. So that's throw the knock. I mean, and that's it. I mean, it's not like, oh, man, he's just a horrible person. It's not like, you know, they're trying to cheat the fans. I mean, you, you've seen some of these stories about the amount of money they put into, you know, the facilities with the Sixers. Uh, I think that's interesting and certainly uh, important to steal Ron Rivera's favorite phrase because they have – problems there. I mean, we just saw this NFL PA, you know, report uh, and, and everything's not going to get become brand new overnight and they're going to be able to put a new practice facility wherever or a new stadium right away. So they're going to have to live with the places they're in. So I, I think that's that that to me is uh, is encouraging to hear. And, you know, as you and I have discussed, you got three guys, you know, that, that grew up here that are big investors here with, you know, Mitchell Rails as well and Mark Ian, and they understand what the franchise, you know, used to be and uh, i think that's i do feel like that is important and uh, they can obviously learn a lot from the just do the opposite of the previous guy and that'll probably get you pretty far what did you make you're a virginia you're a northern virginia guy um you know the state very well what did you make of the you know the prospectus you know that uh harris put together for his co-investors or to pitch co-investors um, in the referencing of Virginia being the jurisdiction that would potentially pony up uh, close to or near $1.5 billion for a new stadium. Is that leverage for uh, D.C. and Maryland to get off their ass and, and, and come to the table with more money down the road, or do you think they would be serious about Virginia? Yeah, I, mean, I think they have to look at it. I mean, you have to look at everything, but when you get to the locations, I mean, the, here's what we know. Here's the only location they actually have an agreement to. It's the two sites in Prince William County, 
which are off 95, and again, I'll say this over and over until I'm dead, um, they're never going to have the metro out there, right? They're not going to have public trans- transit out there. N- 95 is a disaster, north and south, on a Sunday without football on the, on the, you know, on the side of you know, 60,000 or whatever the stadium would be. It would just be insanity, and it, it's, it's just not – It's not it going to – the, the, league, the league would yeah, never not, let them move to the, those like, locations. Spend, right, and people keep throwing, hey, well, Santa Clara. I'm going, this ain't Santa Clara. Okay, right. take a weekend at Prince William County, all right? Yeah. Sorry. No offense. No offense. But seriously, it's not. Now, then you can say, well, Dulles, you know, that area, you know, that's where it's a fluid, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And that's true. But guess what? Those affluent people really don't want the stadium out there. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of land. And the move for the move for uh, Bowdoin County has been data center, data center, data center. Right. And if you're the landowner, you're going to get more money from the data center, you know, from the Amazons of the world, the Googles of the world, and whoever else, than you are from a stadium because they're looking for a deal. So I, I just think it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, I think it's true that, that they could get a lot of money from Virginia, maybe. It was they had a pretty good proposal that couldn't get voted on because of Dan Snyder essentially last time around. So we'll see. But look, Maryland's come out already. Westmore's been you know through his press secretary's already said they want to work with them. They have the home field advantage, if you will, as we know they have all that land. Plus, you know, is there an option to move over near the casino? That 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 would be interesting if, if that were to happen. And then there's DC, and we just saw this story yesterday about. Now some you know, maybe some desawing with uh, right. the Comier in, in Kentucky saying that he would try to help uh, Bowser get that land. So I, you know again it's it's all just starting. We're going to hear a lot of these different things. I don't put a whole lot into it. I, I think I said this to you in a text yesterday. I don't think three guys who grew up here in Montgomery County want their you know want their legacy to be uh, we moved the team to Virginia. <laughs> I just I'm sorry I just don't I don't believe that for a second. But hey whatever you know you could you could chase these headlines if you want I guess. But I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Well, I certainly don't believe that they want their legacy to be we moved the team to Woodbridge or Dumfries. Like that, to me, has been a joke from the beginning because I don't even think the league would allow it. Um, You know, the the league can hold back their their pot of money that goes to teams that build new stadiums if they don't like the plan. Um, I think the D.C. thing, too, is tricky because getting the land may not be the big challenge. The issue is going to be getting taxpayers to pony up something that, you know, at least comes close to whatever Maryland or maybe Loudoun County, um, you know, you know, throws their way because even though people say, look, these, you know, 16, 17 guys, I mean, their aggregate net worth is, you know, $90 billion or whatever, $30 billion, whatever it is, like they can build a stadium. Well, that's, that's easy for you to say. Um, Josh Harris is the lead controlling investor, and I am sure that the other co-investors have a certain amount of money that they had to commit in getting involved in the deal to a new stadium. Um, so I'm not worried that he can't you know, handle it, but they're going to be looking for, as anybody would, look, Buffalo and Nashville just got big taxpayer contribution. Um, for their their new stadiums that will be built, and these guys are businessmen. You know, Josh Harris is going to be looking for a uh, big contribution without having to go back to all of his big co investors and say, "Hey, you're worth a lot of money. I need you to write another big check." It's not, you know, yeah. it could happen that way, but I think they'd prefer it to happen the other way. It's going to be interesting. I think the other part of, of yesterday's story, Scott, um, that came out is just the idea that. You know, everybody's been thinking 2027, 2028, you know, well, we're already in 2023 now. 
Um, and yeah. what this thing really reflected in his you know presentation to co-investors is the new stadium is really we're looking at 2031, 2032. I mean, we're eight to nine yeah. years away from a new stadium and, and maybe a decade away. So that's why, you know, they're talking about putting all of that money back into FedEx, like $88 million in stadium upgrades, because they're going to be there for a while. Yeah, and I think that's smart and more realistic is this idea to rush it. Look, we did the rushing of a stadium before, and it didn't work out well. I right. mean, that's what Jack and Cook did. He wanted to rush that thing up and by the time it was done, it was already antiquated, <laughs> and it was already, you know, it was already, you know, it was already. Well, this isn't even the state of the art stadium anymore. I mean, it was it was terrible from the jump. There were problems from the beginning. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, again, it, it was back then. Remember, I say to people all the time, when you're talking about Potomac Yards, like you could see the other side of the river. <laughs> you know, you can look down and see, you know, D.C. This is completely different when you're talking about, you know, Woodbridge or, or yeah. you know, or uh, Dumfries. This is a, a lot different. If there was a spot in Arlington, okay, you could talk me into that or, you know, right right nearby, but there's not. So that that's why the Virginia thing to me remains fantasy. And, again, I think if you think people in D.C. aren't excited about a, a stadium, you wait until you talk to the people in Loudoun County. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to be real high on it either. And there's really, and again, frankly, I mean, unless you go out like to where Steve Zabin lives at this point, there's not a whole lot of locations. I mean, there's just it, it keeps closing up quickly. I mean, there there all a lot of them are spoken for that, that appear to be empty right now too. Um. So yesterday, and I'll finish with this. I I uh, put a poll out um on the rebrand, uh, just trying to gauge you know where people have this. On their priority list, you know, I'll share with you if you if you don't know. Sure. Uh, to me, the lecturing of people that this is important to is just nauseating. Um, you know, it's just stop it, okay? Nobody's telling you that. You know, it's it's okay that that the rebrand isn't anywhere near your you know uh, pr- uh, a list of priorities. Stop telling people that you know have it as a priority that they can't have it as a priority. Um, but fifty five percent, roughly, um, of the people that have voted have said, and it's close to four thousand votes, that this is a high on the list priority, top five or at the very top of the list. Roughly forty four and a half percent, you know, somewhere around there, uh, have said that it's further down the list or it's not on the list at all. Where are you on this? The rebrand. Well, I think a lot of the rebrand people want it to be the old name, and it's not happening. Okay? No, it's not that's not going to happen. Agreed. Right. So that, that's why I think like we almost need to do a different poll. All right, rebrand name, but the, the old name's not a possibility. So I think there's some, some feeling that, okay, these guys are from here. They're going to come here. They're going to know how, how popular it was. Yeah, they're also going to know that they're just going to set the franchise back by doing something like that politically, so it's not happening. But for me, it's down the list. Uh, like maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's just outside of the top ten. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't look at it or think about it. I mean, these guys are smart business people as we know, do the research on it, what have you. I just don't think you're going to get to the end, an end result that's going to make people happy. Yeah, you erase what would appear to be Dan's preferred name, I guess, but is it really going to make people excited, um, you know, and bring people together, whatever the new name may be, whether it be Red Wolves or, you know, I don't know, Red Hogs, whatever the heck, you know, Red Tails, you know, whatever it may be. I, I just don't see it being something that's going to, going to, again, be universally loved. I, look, we've lived with the Wizards for a long time. I uh, don't think it's a great name. Never thought it was a good name. But 
kind of got over it. I think there's ways, you know, to promote it as D.C., you know, and, and Washington, which they have done with the big W's and the helmet and that stuff to kind of stay off of it. But, yeah, I, it's just for me it's not as important, but I get it if some people are. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to be something that's going to be universally beloved when they get to the end of it. It would be the problem. And, you know, it's certainly they could do a lot better in terms of rolling it out than the, than the last group did because that was a mess. I'm, I was thinking about what you said at the beginning of your answer about, you know, if you told everybody, look, Redskins isn't an option, how would they feel? I don't think that people that want to rebrand are believers that the old name can come back. I'm not saying that some aren't, but I, I would I would guess that yeah. the majority of people understand well, that that ship is sailed. People, apparently. Well, I mean, I deal, I, I, deal, I deal with a lot of those people as well. And look, yeah. I mean, I actually think I would advocate against doing it if they were even seriously considering it, because it's like, why would you want to start to rebuild this business and have you know, yeah. the activists come back um, and have, right. you no, know, you don't want to and do have that, that yeah. whole thing. So I, I doubt that they would even consider that. But I think most people, I think there are a lot of people that just think that what, what they did was completely butchered and botched. And, um, true. That, and that's true. Yeah, and that's totally true. But that's not these guys' problem necessarily coming in. Their, their problem is make this, you know, in terms of business. It could better, be part of their problem, uh, the though. It could be part of their problem. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, again, if you, I think if the product on the field is better, people get over these names, right? I mean, eventually they get over it. I mean, there's a lot of dumb names out there in sports, uh, and people have celebrated these teams as, as time moves on. But yeah, I just think, again, you got to get the other stuff handled first. It's more important, you know, take it, you know, player uh, upgrades in, in terms of facilities is a big deal. Um, it helps around the league too to see them doing the right things right away. Uh, again, if, I don't think it sends a good message outside of our area if you come in and meet him and go, oh, we're going to change the name, like, of all the things you could do, really, okay, uh, right away. I just don't think that that's going to really excite people around, you know, looking from the outside in. I think people, and I think, you know, I think there's some, some of those guys are just, they just want, they just want to get <laughs> back to just football, and I, I get it, and I, I'm with them, and that's what I want to see, too. I would like to see the focus on making the football product better. Uh, as best you can, and obviously a lot of that stuff's going to have to wait. Uh, we're going to let the season play out before a lot of that stuff can take place with with this staff and, and to see who's who's staying or who's not. Yeah, I mean, I'll agree to disagree with you on that because I think the majority of people that either care about the team or did care about the team, I think this is important to them and that they would applaud the fact that they would be looking into this. And by the way, and I've said this multiple times, they can do more than one thing at a time. You know, they're going to be looking at, you know, the number one priority for me, which is we've got to figure out how to win. You know, we got to get the the best people into this organization and turn this organization into, you know, a competitive functioning organization, uh, but they can do a lot of these things simultaneously. Last thing, um, like 20 years from now, like how will you describe Dan Snyder to somebody that, you know, is much younger and, you yeah. know, let's just say we're talking about an organization that, you know, has had some success two decades from now, maybe won a Super mm-hmm. Bowl um, or two, and you, wow. somebody says, what happened from, like, 1999 through 2022? What will your answer be? Um, I, if the phrase dumpster fire is still irrelevant, maybe I'd use that. I mean, I would just, you know, it's like, I, I would I'd maybe use, like, a you know horror movie reference, whatever the big one would be at that point, so they'd understand. It was just like... Again, anytime you made any progress, you you just went backwards, right? Like 2012 progress, you know, 
injury, then the you know the owners uh, in, interfering again. You know, Marty Schottenheimer year, things are going well, and then you decide to fire everybody because it's not fun for you, and you know your second year as the owner, and just like any time there was any type of momentum, it would just be you know, cut from under you. Um, it just was so frustrating. Anytime you just did never, the good times never lasted long. Right. I mean, I think I would explain it that way as the best I could, but yeah. And, and then I would just make, maybe say to them, Hey, just Google it. Just Google it. There's probably a really good timeline out <laughs> there. You can look at it. I don't have enough. It's time. a long story. We don't have enough time. Um, uh, but right. You, right. But yeah. You can Google history it. Books, you know? Yeah. Find yeah, some find some radio talk shows that might be available from like the year twenty, <laughs> you know, from twenty fifteen right. to twenty twenty three, and you'll you'll hear some uh, reasons. Uh, all right, thank you. Exactly. Appreciate you doing this. Hope you're well. All right, take care, Scott Jackson. Everybody, uh, the man that I have been confused with more than anybody else that I have ever worked with. Can't tell you how many times over the years somebody will say to me, "Hey, man, really love your work, Scott. Really appreciate it." Uh, and they're referring to Scott Jackson. Uh, People think that we sound alike. Um, Anyway, Scott's a great guy. All right, up next, we go into the archives for some Chris Cooley on a certain player that he evaluated a year ago. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll take good care of you with the latest of their promotions. They've got all of their NFL futures stuff up uh, at MyBookie. The win totals are up for the upcoming 2023 season. Washington is at 7.5. They're over-under for wins in 2023. Uh, how does that compare uh, to the rest of the division as an example? Philadelphia is at 10 and a half. The Cowboys are at nine and a half. The Giants are at eight and a half. Washington is at seven and a half. There are two teams with lower win totals in the NFC. Um, you've got Tampa Bay uh, at six and a half and Arizona, Washington's 
week one opponent with the lowest over-under total uh, in the league, along with the Houston Texans, uh, at five and a half. Um, so Washington's kind of in that, I don't know, third tier of NFC teams. They're not at the bottom with Tampa Bay and Arizona, but they're in a mix with teams like Atlanta and Carolina and Chicago with respect to their over-under total. And then you have, you know, kind of a tier above that are teams like the Giants and the Vikings and the Lions. Um, and then the top tier, really, uh, in terms of win totals you're looking at, are the Eagles and the 49ers, the Cowboys. Actually, uh, the Saints have a an over-under total of 9.5 at my bookie, which is interesting. That puts them as a big favorite to win what is supposed to be one of the worst divisions in football, the NFC South. I mean, you have a rookie quarterback in Carolina. You've got a second-year guy that didn't play much in Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. Um, and in Tampa, you know, you're either going to get, I guess, Mayfield or Trask. Um, so with the Saints uh, and the move they made with Derek Carr um, in the offseason at quarterback, and remember, they still have – no, they don't have Andy Dalton anymore. They've, they've got Jameis Winston. They kept Jameis Winston to back him up, and they also drafted – New Orleans did one of the quarterbacks I liked, which was Jay Kaner, the quarterback out of Fresno State. Um, but the Saints – that's an interesting number as I sit here and look at that. That's a high number for New Orleans uh, heading into this year. Uh, but I guess it's based on the fact that the rest of the division is just so inexperienced at quarterback. Anyway, mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. If there's something written in the promo code section, erase it and write Kevin DC. So I mentioned at the top um, some archived coolie. Uh, what is it about? Well, I don't know what made me do this, but I listened to his film breakdown of Sam Howell from nearly a year ago to the day. Uh, and I just wanted to see what he said about Sam Howell. I mean, there's Sam Howell right now. It's amazing that a guy that's played one game, um, is generating this much conversation, but it's the quarterback. It's the quarterback in Washington. We all understand that, but I, for whatever reason, decided I would listen to it. And it's 16 minutes, roughly, his film breakdown from Sam Howell. Because I wanted to see what Cooley said a year ago. I do remember specifically what he said about Jahan Dotson. That was the film breakdown that he did last year that, to me, was incredibly memorable because he essentially said that he thought Jahan Dotson would dictate coverage, um, would be more of a threat to defenses and defensive coordinators than even Terry McLaurin. He loved Jahan Dotson a year ago in the film breakdown, and he still thinks Jahan Dotson has some Deshaun Jackson you know, potential um, in his career. But what did he say about Sam Howell? Well, I went back and listened to it, and I just thought to myself, well, maybe you guys would like to listen to it as well because there were a couple of interesting takes uh, in here. Um, on Sam Howell. So with that, uh, hitting the archives, this is Cooley from a year ago on Sam Howell. All right, we have a Cooley film breakdown. Uh, He's going to do Sam Howell, and he's going to do Jahan Dotson. Uh, He wants to do Sam Howell first. I know you watched a bunch of Carolina games. Uh, Let's get to it. Go ahead. What do you think of Sam Howell? Fifth round. My notebook was open. Sam Howell. Okay, let's do so, it. So he's six one, 
says 225. He looked short. Like, I didn't look up his height and weight before I started watching him. Right? We'll get to comps, I think, at the end. One of the biggest concerns, because he was supposed to be the best quarterback in this class after the 2020 season. Right. One of the biggest concerns was like he regressed throughout the year. And in that fashion, he in particular doesn't necessarily remind me of Josh Allen, but in the fashion that he went from junior year being the best quarterback in the draft to regressing the scene. Like, they were not good last year on offense. When you say regressing, they're, they're, you're, you're saying the, the evaluation from, from, you know, in mock drafters, you know, he went from, you know, yeah, consensus number whatever. one or close to it to, you know, uh, a wide range going into this draft. But go ahead. To, is this guy is this guy's not playing as well as he did? Completion percentage is down. Interceptions up. Sacks up. Like, yeah, regressed. Okay. He didn't regress. He, their, their offensive line took a lot of losses. Right. A lot of immediate losses in the interior offensive line. Like left guard, center, right guard. A lot of just, better run, buddy. You better get out of here. They also, and I know you talked to their offensive coordinator, they, they run a ton, a ton of RPO. Right. And they consistently throughout the year ran RPO where when he chooses the P, there is no answer for edge pressure. Like, he's just going to get hit. It's crazy. Like, you've got to have an answer of some sort. Um. When the quarterback's going to throw the ball in RPO, he can't get a hit. He can't get hit. This is where, this is where another thing where college and pro is very different. So if the run's going to the right on the RPO, the NFL, the backside tackle, will still block out to the left to ensure the defensive end can't just whack the quarterback. Right. In college, it's a full commit. And even at times, they'll pull that offensive guard and offensive tackle completely to the run leaving the backside end entirely free. There was a couple, like, he played Notre Dame. If, if they, they had it down, like, if he pulls this, you just drill him in the back. I thought he was great he in that game. One. I thought he was great in that game, too. I he made a couple big-time throws in that game. But, I mean, as far as regression, like, he had a ton of drops this year. One, he had a ton of drops. Two, he took a ton of hits. I mean, yes, he does take some unnecessary sacks, but took a ton of hits that you're like, I don't know if this dude needs to be taking these hits. It's got to be a better way to protect him. Or you got guys getting beat up front right now. Three, through some of the picks is like a couple of them, I think one I'm thinking of in the Notre Dame game, he's throwing a back shoulder fade. You're like, receiver, please attack the ball. It's a ball. Like you're getting a 50-50 ball and a back shoulder fade. NFL stuff, that's, that's an open throw. That's a catch. Like he, the receiver is not losing. Like separate at the last second and get the ball. He had so, a lot, don't let the defender get through to it. He had a lot of NFL players in 2020. He had De'Ami Brown, you know, who's in Washington. He had Javante Williams and Michael Carter, the two NFL backs. He had a better offensive line. It was less talent around him in 2021 than in 2020. Just so right. you know that, yeah. Which is where that kind of reminds me of the back to the Josh Allen thing. And Josh Allen's senior year, he was running for his life against teams like Utah State. He's making all these crazy off-script, off-platform throws, running around for his life. And everyone's like, couldn't he throw the ball from the pocket? Like, maybe, but not for Wyoming and whatever year he played there as a senior. Because <laughs> right. that's not available. 
and and to some extent, like how some of it's like, yeah, you'd like him to take a different look or something else, but that wasn't available. Like, there's a bear attack coming from the center. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you gotta, gotta fight back. You gotta fight back. Can't lay down <laughs> and play dead. Bears stalking him. Yeah, you can't play dead. All right, so here's what I saw. Pros talking about the hits, some of the stuff. He's he's damn tough. Yeah, he takes hits a lot, and he the other thing, he runs the ball a lot and takes hits. Yeah, he knows how to slide. Like there there's multiple there's multiple times where he slides, and that and for me, knowing the quarterback's going to stay up and take a hit in college, trying to get a first down. For your team, your senior year, I love that. Like, he knew when he was trying to get a first down, and he knew when he was trying to play. He's smart. Now, that said, there is, unless it's third and really important in the NFL, we're not taking that shot. He's going to have to get down every time. But I don't see that as something that he'll have a problem with doing. Um, I think he works the pocket fairly well. Like, I, I think he can move in the pocket can manipulate the pocket space at times, does a very good job climbing the pocket, and really when he's going to run, does a great job of climbing the pocket to then escape in the A or B gaps in the center of the pocket instead of having to turn around backwards and do the Robert Griffin thing. Right. To me, he manipulates pocket space really well. Um, throws a good deep ball. Like, I really do think he throws a catchable, consistent deep ball. I, I, I was impressed. Like I don't think he's got this cannon arm, but he can get the ball down the field. He can throw a ball 60 yards. See that as any problem. I think he's got a pretty good release. Quick release. Um, to me, there are times when he can anticipate really well, uh, especially to his right. Like You'll see him last year make a lot of throws to his right side where that receiver's still coming out of the break. Which I, which I love. I love seeing the guy being able to anticipate throws. Uh, he's creative. He creates well. I think as he goes through progressions, which I don't think there was a lot in North Carolina, at North Carolina, he's capable of taking a look at the left side of the field, sliding in the pocket, and then moving to the right and making a throw. I think my, my opinion on not knowing exactly what they're running is it's one to two. Like, it's not one, two on one side to three, four. It's, it's, it's one to two for him, which is fine. Um, one to two and then check down is run. Yeah, one to two and then three is, is, is run, yes. Or a lot of times it's one to you better run. Right. Uh, as, and when he is a runner, he, he actually has the ability to make guys miss. Like, he's got some shiftiness to him. He's got some speed to him. I didn't look up what he ran a 40 in, but he's not slow. Like 4'7", something. What do you think? Uh, he ran a 40? I'll see if, if he ran four, a 40. I'll, I'll look it up. 4'6", four 4'7", four is what he looks like he plays at. Something like that. Um, Highest 4'8", would be. So let's get to what I think are some of the the, the disadvantages of his game. So, one... Let's just talk like a couple things offensively that are different that he won't have in the NFL. First of all, he's not going to have as much RPO, and they operate so heavily in RPO that it he does not have a full game plan palette. He just hasn't done it. He hasn't seen it. He has. I'm sure his play calls are all super short. He's going to have a huge learning curve. Doesn't mean that he's not capable of getting there, but it will be a huge learning curve to NFL offense from what he ran at North Carolina. 
too, this is interesting. A lot of college quarterbacks do this. A lot of high school quarterbacks do this. They backpedal their drop out of gun. It's, it's a weird thing to me. I don't know if I like it. Instead, it's just that crossover step, right. kind of karaoke quarterback step. It's a straight backpedal. One thing I don't like about that is at times when he's throwing like an eight-yard hitch or a stop, he doesn't just plant and throw. You're like, you don't have to still backpedal guy. Like, just turn and throw. We actually went that, through that with our, my quarterback or the quarterback at our high school a lot this year. It was like six-yard hitch, and he still wants to take three steps. You're like, no, catch and throw. When you forever and ever in football, when we were throwing a hitch, it was off of three steps. You're already three steps deep in the gun. You don't have to go any deeper. So he's always in this backpedal. Um, I think he's got super happy feet. Like, he's bouncy. His level's changing. He's bouncy. He's always on his toes. He, has, he keeps a fairly good base, so I'm not overly concerned about it. But I think some of his accuracy things, and I think he's, he's okay with accuracy, but, like, not great. And I think it's technique with his base. Like, he's always bouncing. You can see him up, down, up, down, bounce, bounce, bounce. So he's always throwing with almost an off-platform throw every throw. He's never just throwing a step, drive, throw. And that's what I think is hurting in some of his drive, like his ability to drive the ball. I think it's hurting in his ball placement. Like you don't see him throw a ton of balls to a receiver hitting on the in stride on the run, unless it's down the field vertically. Unless it's, um, unless it's a deep shot. Yeah, some of the deeper shots are fine, but a lot of the intermediate shots are not. And I'm not saying like he's wildly inaccurate, but it's on a back hip instead of on the front hip. You know, it's on the knees, and, or it's above the head instead of in the chest. Like he's off a little bit. But I think, and if you watch him play, you can see this. He's, he's bouncing around like a lot back there. Uh, so that, that's something I would work on immediately, is just getting him to stay in his base. Like, stop hopping. To me, it's almost like a, like a receiver who jumps every time they catch the ball. Like, you don't need to jump there. Right. It was not over your head. Right. Just run to the ball and catch it. And, and that, like, when, receiver, when receivers do that, it, it essentially means they're going to drop more balls. He just, he's, always, he's always bouncing. Um, he, uh, he'll throw a lot of 50-50 balls, which I don't hate. Right. But sometimes, and, and some of these, like 50-50, I mean one-on-one coverage, right? You're not just throwing it up for, get, for grabs. It's not 500. It's a 50-50 ball. And they'll throw it and give guys a chance when they're not necessarily open. Now, and maybe some of this came from last year, which I didn't watch last year, a lot of, any. Um, came from guys making plays on those balls. But some of them, you're like, you got to know the guy. you got to know the guy covering the guy. Because there's a couple picks where you're watching it going, that's, I mean, that's really, it's not on you, but probably should have went somewhere else with the ball there. It's almost Grossman-like. Screw it. <laughs> right. Said, you get a 50-50 ball, take it, I'll take it. Well, in some ways, and he is a risk taker. Like, he throws he throws some balls into some spots where you're like, dang, I mean, I know that there was, there was something there. It's not a guess, but maybe there was something elsewhere. It's almost risk-like. Some of those are kind of moonballish too. You know, like to what Taylor yeah. Heineke threw in Atlanta, you know, this year, where he just kind of threw it up for grabs and McLaurin ended up coming down with it. 
you know, off his back foot on first and 10, which was not great decision-making. But, but yeah, go ahead. I, I'm following And, and I this. think even, even to some extent, there's just so much wasted movement in the pocket that a lot of times, like, that little tenth of a second when he's jumped, like he's bounced, he's still got to wait till he hits his back foot to then drive and throw. He's also, especially to his left, he all like he takes an extra hitch and he pats the ball an extra time to throw a route that should not take an extra hitch or the ball should not be patted. Like you just can't be back there patting the ball. If you're going to throw it in a timing route, it's catch, set your back foot and drive. So he's just got a lot of extra movement in the pocket is essentially what I'm getting to. That's as, that's as easy as it gets described that a couple times. Uh, there are times, and I don't feel like I can say anything because I'm a play quarterback there, but his eyes will take him down in the pocket where he'll see the rush. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say how you don't do that as much as he was getting rushed, though. Uh, so to me, ultimately, like, really on the good side. Like, he plays with a ton of confidence, plays with a ton of courage. I think he's a smart player. I think he's got a good release, good arm. On the downside, I think he's operated in an incredibly limited offense. I think his size will hinder him in the NFL. I don't think you're going to get the run ability like he does in college. I think he'll be able to run some, but I don't think that he's going to be breaking off dynamic 12, 13-yard runs to get first downs as often as he did at North Carolina. So he's going to end up seeing a lot more third and eight that he's going to have to make a throw with a three-man progression that he hasn't seen. Um, I, I think that fifth round is probably a great pick for him in so much that I don't see him as a starter for at least a couple years. And then ultimately, like I saw a lot of comps scrolling through to Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I definitely see some Baker Mayfield in him. No doubt I see Baker. Um, I see Heineke. Like, I really see, a, like, he's a lot like Heineke, in my opinion. With a bigger arm. I think there's some, with a, a, a bigger arm for sure. I see some early Grossman in him. Like, knowing and watching Rex, I, I see some, like, this dude's out there slinging it. Uh, like, I like that he played to win last year like he played a little hero ball and he played with confidence and I, I think at times there were some questions and at times there's some, some awesome to him uh, I, I just don't know if his high end is ever in the top 15 quarterbacks in the league I, I actually I think I do know that it's not like it, you know the other guy similarities I saw a, a little bit of like Drew Locke in him well, you, I like Drew Locke. You like Drew Locke. So, so I think your best case is as a starter, just a guy. Okay. Um, I but I I like I like him. I think he'd be fun guy to play with. He seems I I didn't watch any of in, interviews or anything. I just I don't think he's special. And I think probably some of it that hurts him is being six foot and maybe not quite the accuracy that, that you want from a quarterback. And maybe they go hand-in-hand. Hand. 
So that was Cooley's evaluation of Sam Howell a year ago. Uh, pretty hard to, to know right now whether or not Cooley will be right uh, in his film breakdown of Sam Howell's college tape. Uh, we saw one game uh, in the regular season from Sam Howell. My guess is, though, that Cooley will be slightly off on one part of his film breakdown, and that is I think Sam Howell's going to be a great runner. Um, Cooley thought he would be a tough, competitive you know, solid, uh, you know, runner with mobility. I think his mobility is going to be the key to the season for Washington's offense. Um, you know, some of that will have to do with the offensive line, uh, because if their offensive line's improved and they can really run the football, um, there will be perhaps less pressure on him to make plays, uh, with his legs. But, um, one thing that Cooley pointed out, and I think uh, this was a, a big takeaway from listening to this yesterday, is that North Carolina ran a lot of RPO. And you know who ran a lot of RPO last year? The Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they were top five in percentage of plays, offensive snaps, uh, being RPO snaps, um, RPO plays. And so I think we're going to see a ton of of RPO. Look, Washington ran a lot of RPO last year with Taylor Heineke and with Carson Wentz. Um, but I think that's going to be a big part of the offense. Teams like, you know, the Eagles and Atlanta and um, Miami, um, the Chiefs, uh, you know, a lot of the teams that really ran a ton of RPO. I'm not talking about read option, all right? Those are two totally different things. I'm not talking about, you know, the quarterback, you know, in shotgun, um, and you have the ability to hand it off or run it yourself. I'm talking about the run-pass option, where the quarterback, you know, sees what the defense is in at the line of scrimmage and then sticks it in the gut and then throws the football rather than running the football or keeps it in the gut of the runner based on what he sees uh, in terms of a defensive alignment. People sometimes get that confused. RPO and read option are not the same. Um, the, The read option or the zone read is the quarterback running or the quarterback handing it to the back. Um, it is a, you know, it's an option for the quarterback to keep the ball and run it himself based on what the outside linebacker or defensive end does. If the defense, defensive end crashes, the outside linebacker crashes, he keeps it. If the outside linebacker or the defensive end plays the quarterback, he keeps the ball in the gut of the running back um, and lets him take it. Uh, RPO is run pass option. The quarterback's either handing it off to the running back or he's throwing a very quick pass um, with, by the way, the offensive line blocking run. Um, And in the NFL, you only get a yard of, of cushion before the pass has to leave the quarterback's hands. Um, if you're beyond a yard, it is uh, a legal man downfield. In college, you get three yards. So you see RPO um, and a much slower developing sometimes RPO uh, scheme in college than you do in the NFL. Watch Wake Forest and their RPO uh, scheme uh, You know, with Sam Hartman in the last couple of years. It's one of the slowest developing RPO looks. Uh, and it's because the down linemen have three yards of cushion before they're going to be called for a legal man downfield. 
Anyway, um, I enjoyed going back and listening to it. I don't know what made me do it. Again, I have no idea. But I was thinking about Sam Howe and what Cooley thought of him a year ago, and I went back and listened to it. I also listened to his film breakdown of Jahan Dotson. I did not leave that in there. Um, he loved Jahan Dotson. Uh, I, you may remember that he thought it was a great pick and he thinks Jahan Dotson's going to be a star. He thinks that Jahan Dotson is Deshaun Jackson-esque, um, and, uh, talked a lot about, uh, that in his film breakdown of Jahan. Maybe I'll play that, you know, one of these days coming up, uh, nothing like recycling. All right. Uh, have a great day back tomorrow with Tommy.